I would say the number one thing that I've learned from this, especially when you're getting to a really technical audience, is those people need to be educated more and they need to just take in as much information as possible and always cite your sources. We all strive for more nowadays, more traffic, more revenue, more growth. In this never-ending battle for more, it's easy to forget what's important. So what is important? Building real relationships with real humans and trying to be better each day without caring quite so much about getting more. After all, by building real and meaningful relationships, you'll have way more than you ever need. The SaaS SEO Show is a platform for meaningful connections and honest conversations with people who are real, hardworking practitioners and high performers in the SaaS industry. We're here to learn and get inspired by them, and we hope you do too. Now, here's your host, George Cassiotis. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the SaaS SEO Show. I'm your host, George Cassiotis, and today I'm very happy to be joined by Brandon Gubitosa. Brandon is an experienced senior content marketing manager at Plural, a dynamic company specializing in content and marketing solutions. With over a year at Plural, Brandon leads their go-to-market initiatives and content marketing strategies. Prior to this, he served as a content marketing manager at Monte Carlo, where he used data-driven approaches for content decisions, increasing organic website traffic and domain rating. Brandon also worked as a technical content marketing manager at Animals, focusing on long-form technical content delivery and SEO strategies. Brandon, welcome. Thank you for having me on, George. Excited to finally talk about some few things, content, and also the future of content SEO as well. I have some very thoughts that I definitely do want to share with people, and they people might not like how the future is going to have work out for marketing and content especially, but I think all the changes we're seeing happening now are for the better for everyone's careers. You mentioned the future, and like we, we will definitely talk about that. Um, but I would like to go to the past first and discuss your journey and like what led to you know the the position you have uh, today at Plural. Um, and I guess I mentioned you know uh, Monte Carlo and animals, but can you please like set the context as to how uh, you got into this? Um, let's say space in the first place and um, some highlights from your journey um, until, you know, the point you, you are uh, today. Yeah, definitely. So I think like a lot of people in content marketing, you don't go out for a career in content marketing. It kindly just happens. Like when I was at Animals, like everybody had a different journey getting into content marketing and mine's pretty weird from a standpoint where in college, um, I was a business major, but I always had a really strong by like writing background. I wrote for a bunch of publications, USA Today, our school paper, my local paper. Always writing was definitely a hobby of mine, but nothing I ever pictured a career in. I think that was kind of just due to the fact that writing for like your newspaper was kind of a dying breed at the time and newspapers were going out of style. So um, I took my first co job out of college as a sales company where I did inside sales, which is mostly cold calling people. And, you know, cold calling is a good first job out of college. It helps you build 
a lot of like structure to the way you talk and to the way you word yourself when you're like emailing clients and just on the phone with them, like structures or calls. And I think a lot of that structure is what I use in my writing now. So during my time there, we were doing email campaigns, like writing email campaigns, uh, going after people. And I take a lot of that approach now that I learned in my sales and apply that to content marketing, because what they say about marketing is just a salesperson behind a computer. But anyway, I was doing sales for three years, selling to small to mid-sized companies. I kind of wanted something different in my career, but I wasn't quite sure exactly what I wanted. Um, my dad, he's been working in data for the last 20 years. So I decided to, right around COVID, uh, join a coding bootcamp. So that was a front-end and back-end coding where we learned Ruby, Ruby on Rails, JavaScript, and React. And during that bootcamp, uh, I started writing about coding. And during that time, I wrote an article on Medium that kind of blew up one day, like the middle of July during COVID. And it had like over 30,000 like views, 30,000 people like commenting on it. So kind of just blew up like overnight. And while I was doing that boot camp as well, an agency at the time called Animals reached out to me. Uh, they were trying to build a technical team to write for technical audiences. So they took on a large list of clients that were in the technical field. And they were looking for somebody to help write that content for those companies. So I was the first hire that they made to a team of technical content marketing people. And from there, I just went heads down in, wrote for companies in the technical space, really liked what I was doing, really liked the value content was bringing to these companies, especially for SaaS companies where you're talking upwards of 100K, at least for some of these deals. So the value is definitely there for content marketing. I saw the future of it. And this is still during the peak of COVID as well. And I really liked doing this and I wanted to go in-house to a company. So at that time, um, a company called Monte Carlo, they were a series B startup when I applied for them, got the job there. Um, we kind of just blew up at Monte Carlo, like overnight, like the growth there is nothing I've ever seen before. We went from 35 employees to 135 in under a year, but it kind of seemed to happen like overnight, just everything was clicking for us. We were just writing really high quality content and then sales was using that content too in following up with people. And from there, I really liked it and I wanted to run it on my own because I saw what it takes to be successful. And that is when Ploro reached out to me and Ploro, we are in the Kubernetes ecosystem. So different space than what I was previously writing in before, but it still is the same type of audience you are marketing to, which is a very technical audience. And the one thing I found working at Ploro compared to working in previous companies is the more technical the audience gets, the more you have to educate them and help them make decisions themselves. So that's kind of been my journey to where I'm at now. And it's definitely been an interesting journey. And I think it's only going to get better as time goes on and marketing, obviously, for from a technical standpoint and content increases in value for companies.
What would you say are the biggest learnings from working at uh, at an agency? Yeah, so my biggest learnings from working at an agency to where I'm at now is in an agency, there kind of is a lot of directions you can go in. You lose out on not being like in that client's day-to-day operations. So stuff does change very fast at startups, like on a day-to-day basis. So what you're working on one day, a few days later, that might not be what the main focal point is. So agencies have to work very fast and adhere to their client schedules and make sure you're asking as many questions as possible and staying up to date with what that client's like main focus is and what the main value of the content is. So for example, um, I like to look at it as like, you should be having weekly meetings with that client. That's a non-negotiable. I would even take it as far as if you're working with a very high client who has a lot of needs and a lot of articles, there should be two meetings a week just to ensure you are on the same page because a lot can change from an out- outline to when you get that full draft and making sure everybody's aligned because the more technical the content is, the more people usually that have to go through the ringer to approve it. So making sure you're aligned every step of the way and setting deadlines with that client as well is definitely something that's very useful and something I wish I knew earlier than later. Now that you're on the other side of the fence and you're you're working in house and uh, like you can you, you you can build a team and you can like outsource stuff. Would you say um, that outsourcing for technical content can work? I mean, I'm I'm a bit biased here because obviously this is something we do at Minus and I think that it can work. I believe it can work, but I would like to hear your thoughts. Um, having worked as an agency and now as like an in-house person on whether like you think outsourcing for technical content specifically can work? Yeah, um, it definitely can work. Just a word of caution is especially what I've learned from this side of stuff is sometimes the very technical person you're writing that point of article from could have a very different opinion on what's good versus what's not good and the way they portray their thoughts or how they would explain a very technical content. So making sure you're able to speak to the person who actually would be the author. So don't just speak to the content marketing person, speak to that subject matter expert, interview them, try to get as much space time as you can with them. Now that is very limited, I will say, but the more you're able to get in front of that person and even record their thoughts, the better you are able to get that content out there and avoid going through a bunch of revisions and making sure you're sending them every step of the way, like how your thoughts are going out there and the out, like the outline, maybe you have like an initial outline and then like a second outline and then another article and then revisions from there. Just making sure that all your corners are covered. That way they can't come back and say, this is not how I envisioned. They're able to see it the article go from ideation all the way out to completion. So technical content definitely can work. And I'll give you an example too. Um, here at Plural, I started a content contribution program because we also have an open source product. We have a very large community 
So I started a content contribution program where people in our community or people who are subject matter experts in the field of work we are doing can get paid to write articles for plural. And that was pretty successful in the standpoint where we were able to get our name out there to more people and have specific content created that's solving a specific pain point that people are searching for. That's interesting. And I mean, it's not something you get to hear very often, um, from, especially from, from a SaaS company. Yeah. Um, last agency question I have for you right now, and you kind of touched on that in the beginning, but we are on the verge of a big change, let's say, uh, mm -hmm. on, on how marketing, uh, how content marketing, uh, in a B2B, uh, setting is, is done. In that new uh, setting and in that new, let's say, um, world, do you think there is still a space or need uh, for, for agencies? Yeah, no, um, definitely. I will stage this in the fact that it depends at what stage your company is at and how much like funding you have behind you or Another way, a good way to look at it is what's the RRI of content marketing, especially technical too. Like how many decision makers have to go into getting the piece written, um, what's your review process like, but especially as content marketers in the age we're in now, they're being asked to do more with less and being able to better justify your time. If you are a one person team with a little bit of budget and you are your I would say your priorities are kind of all over the place, which uh, the more I talk to people, the more I'm seeing that happen because content marketers now, they're just doing a little bit of everything, whether it's product marketing, social media marketing, email campaigns, even some paid campaigns too. Um, you have to get better at using your time wisely. And if you definitely do have the budget, an agency can help you with that, especially one that helps you create very technical pieces of content. But like I said, just making sure you have those systems and gut checks in place is very helpful too. Like, even if you do have to use a little bit of AI to help you with like article prompts for agencies, making sure you're giving them the right requirements, putting together like style guides as well. It's better to overshare than undershare because what's going to happen is when you're in front of your CEO, CFO, and they're asking to see the ROI from these articles. If you are not able to prove the ROI, so this is another topic I want to talk about eventually, but you know, have a good marketing tracking system in place that tracks the con uh, the value that content's bringing. So like, hey, we did this article, it led to like XYZ signing up. If you don't have that in place before having an agency, I would take a step back and make sure that system is in place because then it's so easy for them not to justify the value of an agency, but making sure you have everything in place before that definitely does help. Let's talk about that. I mean, I, I would like to hear your thoughts. If, if you have any thoughts on how you can best communicate the value and ROI um, of, of content marketing to either a CFO or a CEO, if there is no CFO, um, 
I would like to hear your thoughts on that and like how you you managed to to do that uh, at Rural. Yeah, so I would say like on my standpoint, it's still getting better week by week on how I portray the value of content marketing. It's something that does change as your content plan changes, as a target audience. Like if you're still like, I would say a big thing too is make sure you really understand your target audience very early on. And if you don't, like put time into really understanding your audience and what kind of content they consume and what's the intent behind what they're looking for. Because that way you're better able to see the value that content is bringing. So right now I use a tool called Posthog to kind of track everything from a content standpoint. So I could see content journeys people take, like what's driving them to the blogs? Like what's the source? From there, once they read that blog, where are they going from there? Are they signing up for our product? I can now I'm able to see like what influenced them to sign up for the product. Was it this blog post, that blog post? What percentage of readers were able to read that blog post and signed up? If you're able to have that information in front of you, and it's not easy to set up at first, but over time, I recommend putting in a few days to really get that system down. For me, it took me like a week of just playing around to really get everything up and running and creating a good spreadsheet. That way you could share that with everybody else in the organization to show the value content's bringing. And then you can even show like how that changes your content plan over time. So for example, um, we were really focusing on dot leadership content and posting content on communities like Reddit and Hacker News. And that was doing really good from a traffic standpoint. We were getting uh, loads of traffic to our blog. People were interested in reading it. However, we were able to see over time that wasn't converting people to sign up for our product. So we took a step back and we're like, all right, what does work? In the past, we have done articles that were very application-specific articles that solved pain points people were trying to do. So for example, that would be like how to deploy like X application on Kubernetes, which is what our product allows you to do. So creating really specific targeted content for those people that we knew over time would show up in search results was some uh, something that really worked well for us. And then we had the data to back that up, that, hey, like we should double down on this because it is working. But that system does take time to put in place. And I know a lot of content marketers like myself, you just want to write, create content, but there is an area where you have to take a step back and make sure you have the systems in place. And it's better to have those systems in place very early on compared to playing catch up. Okay. Uh, so can, can we talk about your strategy then? I mean, what does the strategy um, look like today for uh, rural? So it's funny you say that. I actually just changed my strategy late last week, early this week. And the reason behind that was we are growing our sales team. So previously I was our first go-to-market hire. Now we do have two sales hires that are focused on outbound. So I am changing my content strategy to work alongside sales to make sure we're doing the same campaigns at the same time. So if we're going after specific users, creating content that aligns to those users' pain points and making sure we're able to then distribute that content to those people. So from my standpoint, there's a couple of ways I think about content strategy. 
Uh, the first I really think about is what's a user search intent, which is where us and sales got together. And we're like, all right, what pain points are people trying to solve that we're going after? And what content can we create? And we're also now creating more content to help people along the sales funnel to help speed up that process of decision making. Because obviously our number one goal as a company is to increase our ARR. So creating content to help speed up that process is like our main focus for the rest of the quarter. That makes sense. Um, I would like to discuss writing content for a technical audience, right? Yeah. Um, how would you say this differs from like writing content or doing content marketing in general for say sales or marketing people? What are some of the nuances that most people who haven't done content for a technical audience don't know about doing content for a technical audience? Yeah, I would say the number one thing that I've learned from this, especially when you're getting to a really technical audience, is those people need to be educated more and they need to just take in as much information as possible and always cite your sources. So technical people, they're, everybody has really, I'm trying to think of a good way to word this, is everybody has an opinion. And because in coding, there really isn't one right way to solve a problem. There might be another way, but it might be like a better way to do it. So you have to give people as much information as possible to make the right decisions and really explain yourself as to why one approach is better than the other. So I would say like, if you were to do, for example, like when I was doing a sales job and we were selling to small to mid-sized companies, that was a fairly easier sell compared to what we're doing now, because that was more of like, Hey, like we'll give you like, we'll do X, Y, Z for you. Developers need to see the value that that brings to the rest of the organization too. And everybody else now makes everybody's lives easier. Would you also say, I don't know if you can, if you have any data on that, but would you also say that it may be the case that developers also, also um, actually read the content because I don't know about you, but my impression is that many people just skim through pages nowadays and they just, they don't really uh, read a piece of content from start to finish. Would you say that you know, a technical audience is a bit more like attentive and focused when they read something and they want to, to consume the whole thing, like from start to finish or no, that's not. Yeah. Thing. So depends on the type of content. So thought leadership stuff. Um, what I found was people would skim it. And the reason they would skim it is they look for just the main points of your arguments and go from there. When we were doing content that was very technical and had like coding snippets and like tutorials that was when our time on page increase and that kind of does make sense because people were reading the articles following along looking for different code snippets so i would say it's kind of like a balance a happy medium balance you have to find with this and the more technical you get and in including code samples the more time people spend reading your content but at the same time, you have to make sure it's actually 
solving a problem that your product can help with. Like if you're writing about something that it's in the same space as your product, but your product doesn't really help with that, like take a step back and be like, why are we doing this? That makes sense. Uh, technical content uh, requires someone with not, the, not necessarily technical expertise, but at least savviness and uh, some knowledge, right? To be able to write this content. Yeah. So I would like to know how you um, source writers and how you ensure that, you know, what we write is not only factually accurate, but if someone who reads this is really technical, um, they will, you know, um, they will like this piece and they will not feel that, you know, this is written by someone who doesn't yeah. know their stuff. Yeah. It's funny you say that. Like we found to like developers can't tell when it's a piece is very marketing. So kind of trying to cut down on the marketing jargon in the piece. But I would say the number one litmus test that I do is I'll run an article by our engineering team and be like, Hey, would you read this? Like be, be like bluely brunt honest for me. And most of the time they are, they'd be like, Hey, like, no, we wouldn't. Or like, yes, we would. Like they care about the value the piece brings to them and that they can get educated from it. So that's a good litmus test. If you're looking for a way to see if a content is good, but in terms of like how I source people, like through this technical writing program, I was checking out GitHub profiles people provided as well as previous writing samples to see what they have done, where they had their name behind them. And now it's just a good test for myself too, to see like what their writing styles are like, like, can they actually like cover these types of topics? And usually like the really good technical writers, they'll have everything together in one place where you can really look at it and get a full picture of who they are as technical writer. And I would also recommend to like a lot of these people, like I follow them on LinkedIn for some time, like after we connect it and I would see what kind of content they would post on LinkedIn. And if I saw that somebody was consistently posting on there or they consistently like were engaging in stuff in the community, not just our community, but in general, like the coding community, I would tend to lean more towards that person because I saw that a, they're not in it just to get paid for it and be to actually have a strong opinion on it too. That makes sense. Um, what about ensuring, uh, that a piece of content is, um, you know, factually accurate and also that the code snippets are, if there are any code snippets are, uh, right. Um, I mean, one thing we do is that we have obviously one technical person writing the content piece, and then we have another technical con per, uh, technical, uh, person on top of like editing and proofreading. Um, that's, that's a different part of the process, but we have a person just for editing, uh, reviewing and editing if necessary, uh, you know, any code snippets, um, what are your thoughts on that? And like, what, what do you ensure to ensure, what do you do to ensure that the code is actually right? And any other technical elements that may mean, you know, fact checking and. So I'll share two examples of this. The first I'll share during my time at animals when I was at an agency, what we did there, same thing you talked about, we had a technical person look over every piece of content that we did. And the reasoning behind that was to ensure a, everything in there was factually correct from a technical standpoint and B, if we were including like coding snippets that they were accurate. Now where I'm at now, 
how we'll do that is if they do provide like in product code and snippets, like I can easily, easily check that myself, or I can just pass it on to a member of the engineering team real quick and mark like, Hey, does this look right? Does this look right? Does this look right? And usually that's fairly quick, especially if you just show them where, or one step further, easier, just message them directly, like the code snippets themselves and ask them to quickly review it rather than having them open up a document. So I would say it really depends on like how very technical the code snippets get, because you've seen this before too, stuff can get very technical. It could be very like high level. So there really is no right way. I would be cautious around using AI to really check it at this moment. And my reasoning behind that is that there still is a lot going into these AI models from a training standpoint. Not that they won't be correct, but there might be a few errors that you just might not be able to catch quickly or the the AI itself won't catch. So it's good if you're in a rush, but it's always better to be correct than rush. And as the way I like to say, I'd rather wait a day. So just wait the day and have somebody very technical look it over. That all makes sense. Um, I would like to shift gears a bit and discuss content promotion and distribution. What do you do on, on that end if you know you do anything? Because you mentioned earlier Hacker News and like uh, some yeah. other communities. Uh, so I would like to hear your thoughts and like your, your processes and systems regarding that. Definitely. So I would say one thing very early on here was I was really big on content distribution. So writing one piece of content and then distributing it a few ways. So I, would, I was serving it up in our Discord community. I was also putting it on Reddit. I have a few like Reddit accounts that I share stuff on. It's kind of like a happy balance meeting you got to find. Also, we were doing hacker news campaigns, but we still can't find the best way now to really get into hacker news. But at the time, um, I would post something on hacker news or have somebody post it. And then I would have certain times people would go in there and upvote the article. And the reasoning behind that was at that time, there was a way to really game the system where if you spread out your votes and comments every few minutes and people just knew the title of it and they were going to the news section on Hacker News and then just upvoting it there, you'd be able to game the system and quickly rank on the top page of Hacker News. We did that a few times and that worked, but that quickly got shut down, I would say, by Hacker News and smart on their standpoint. Just got to find a different way now to really game that system. But I would also say to posting on Reddit and cross-posting in different Reddit communities, but adding context into your posts does really good. And Reddit is a very nasty place at the time where people have a lot to say. So just have thick skin if you post on there and kind of just quickly check in on it. But you will see sometimes large increases in traffic if you post on there, especially in these very technical audiences too. Has ever any of these uh, promotions sort of backfire, backfired? I mean, you know, as you mentioned, like especially Reddit, you, you can find some bright minds in Reddit, but also many uh, trolls and people yeah. who are, uh, you know, can be a bit nasty. Uh, has anything like ever backfired in terms of promoting this? Backfired, um, but definitely we've had people try to like call us out 
but we were just able to like i guess from our end our product at that time this is like over a year ago didn't do a good job like explaining our license and stuff so we had to really like explain our licenses better and once people understood our licenses that problem went away but that was just a funny situation we were dealing with at the time and some people they just want to troll with you just to troll with you so you can't really look much into it but everybody always thinks they have a better way of doing stuff anyway and from a technical standpoint so it kind of is pretty cool just to generate like these topics of conversations and then what I've done before is use some of that stuff in articles. So you get some good points there and just use it in your next piece of content. That's a good point. Uh, what other online communities and I don't know, social media channels, um, have you tried? I mean, I can think when, when it comes to, um, you know, us marketers or salespeople, we are on LinkedIn, uh, and saw us on, on Twitter, right? Yeah. Uh, what about, uh, you know, devs and software engineers and tech, more technical people. Yeah. Uh, what other communities have you found besides uh, Reddit? Oh, so there's, I wouldn't say so many, but you just gotta like really find the right one as to like where people read your content. So I found decent success from targeting newsletters and trying to get our content featured in newsletters or even one up more. Um, I post on Medium some of the articles as well. And through Medium, there's a couple of publications that will sometimes pick up the content. One of them is Better Programming, the other is itnext.io. And then from itnext.io, our articles get picked up by daily.dev, which is a plugin for Google or for any browser, I would say. And it's kind of like the front page of the news for programmers. I definitely recommend trying to get your content featured on daily.dev. We got pretty good success of people coming from daily.dev and they have a large community as well. So definitely helps get your product and your name in front of there too. But it just takes time of really building content and then having that name behind you where people can recognize you. So it's not something that happens overnight. It's just, you got to keep putting content out, keep emailing these people, messaging them on LinkedIn, your articles, give them like a paragraph as to like what the article is, like why it's valuable for their audience. It does take time to do that, but it does go a long way in making sure you're reaching as many people as possible. That makes sense. Uh, you mentioned Google search earlier and like creating more content that may rank on search and may actually, you know, drive, I don't know, uh, leads and revenue. Um, are you at all concerned about the changes in uh, search, uh, or you know what? Like, it's not really part of how we we drive ROI uh, from our content marketing efforts. Yes, yeah, so I'm not really concerned as much as some people are, and the reasoning behind that is SEO is always going to be a need. Like, organic marketing is great, but it really shouldn't be the number one driving factor of your content strategy unless you're like a huge brand that has a huge online presence and the reason behind that is just because like especially with these larger uh if you have a larger sales cycle like you think about ranking for a keyword that could take upwards of a few months and on top of that the long sales cycle can be sometimes 6 12 months so you're looking at a long time to really eventually get value from that piece so seo is still good like 
very early on, do some very like technical SEO stuff. Um, really make sure like you're all good to go on that. Maybe do some very like high level SEO or very specific stuff where you know you can rank quickly, but don't spend most of your time on SEO. And that's a good learning lesson that I found um, because SEO can only bring you so far and you still need other content to help out like everybody else in the organization. We started from the past, your past, and like what led you to uh, Plural and the role you have there today. Can you take us to the, the future? And you know, I guess this is a great way to, to start wrapping things up. What do you think the future holds for uh, SaaS content marketing? Yeah, I would say we're kind of entering what the future is right now, where you're starting to see a lot of I wouldn't say uncertainty, but people are really starting to see like content marketing. Um, it's very opinionated, and especially from a technical standpoint. Um, there is also a lot of gray areas right now where people are like, all right, do we use AI? Do we not use AI? I say just go for it. Try to get as much value as you can quickly because companies are popping up every day. And if you're not first, like if you ever heard of the movie uh, Talladega Nights, if you're not first, you're last. I wouldn't say that's kind of true, but just getting it out there at least, get the content, ship, and then iterate on it later. You can always go back and update content. Still, you want to make sure you're putting high quality content, but the more content you can produce at a high quality level, uh, the better off you are. That does take time. Like if you are going into like your first marketing not first marketing first content marketing job um i would say be prepared to go as like very fast but also be prepared to take a step back at times and make sure you're taking all the right steps and you're not going to really know what that looks like at first and nor really shouldn't you like i for example like what worked for me a few months ago isn't working right now which is why i'm making changes to my content plan and i'll probably make changes too at the end of the year as well, because it's probably not going to work. So being able to adjust quickly on your feet and always being able to like show the value your work is bringing is something that content marketers will have to get better with on, on the go. And just being able to, like I talked about this earlier, but reporting, showing the value you're bringing, that's like going to be a new area that content marketers, you're either going to like, you're either going to have to find a way to swim or you're just going to, I want someone to say drown, but just fall. Like you got to be able comfortable working best and you got to be comfortable, like not really sometimes getting the subject matter expertise you need. So using other sources, like I talked about AI and just Reddit communities, just being comfortable with the uncomfortable. That's a great way to, to close this episode. Um, last question I have for you, where can people find out more and connect with you if they'd like to yeah get in touch with me on linkedin um i'm sure there would be a, a link my linkedin at the bottom of this but add me on linkedin send me a message always happy to talk content marketing and content itself in general especially from a technical standpoint i'm always learning stuff every day too so i'd be happy if you want to like rip this apart and maybe have a different opinion because content marketing is very opinionated and there really is no right or wrong way because it depends on the stage of your company and who you're really targeting. That's a 
different conversation for a different day, but I'm always happy to talk shop about content marketing and really make sure the future of content marketing is helping businesses succeed and get the next unicorns from it. That's a wrap. Uh, Brandon, thank you very much. Um, that was a very nice episode. Thank you, George. Looking forward to this. Another episode of the SaaS SEO show has wrapped. We hope this episode has taught you something new too. We'd like you to connect with us so you can keep up with all the new content that we're creating. Before you go, it would mean the world to us if you could subscribe to this podcast and over at our YouTube channel, where we upload the video version of this and every episode. Until next time.